to another edition of the Knowles Sports Podcast. I am your host, Carter Carls. It is Thursday, September 22nd. We are two days away from Florida State kicking off against Boston College at 8 p.m. Eastern in Dope Campbell Stadium. The Seminoles are 3-0 for the first time since 2015. And the question that everybody wants to know, is it Jordan Travis or is it Tate Rodemaker starting at quarterback for the Seminoles? We're going to dive into that, me and Essen. But before we do, we are going to be joined by Boston College reporter Dan Rubin. He works for bceagles.com, gave a lot of great insight on Boston College, on Phil Jerkovic, on Zay Flowers, Jeff Halfley, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, without further ado, here is Dan Rubin. Okay, we're now joined by Dan Rubin with bceagles.com. Also has a podcast uh, at Podcast for Boston. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, glad to be here. Well, Dan, uh, just to kind of get started, I mean, overall impressions of this matchup. I, you're not going to make the trip because you're you're about to have your uh, your second kid. Uh, so congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, tell tell us uh, tell us what you think of this matchup uh, going into it. Well, let's be clear. My wife's on the other side of the door, so I know she can hear me when I say she's doing all the work. I'm doing. I'm just there. I'm just there in a supporting role. I'm. I'm the. Uh, I'm the best supporting cast member. Uh, but no, thank you guys. And uh, yeah, so did not making the trip this year, which I'm kind of bummed about because uh, out of everything, because I know it's the first trip for Boston College down to down to Florida State, and, and I apologize to everybody listening the fact that I cannot not pronounce the state name properly if the life of it. I know it's Florida, but I can't, I just can't Florida. do it. My accent's too bad. It's Florida. <laughs> Love um, it. So we're not, uh, not making the trip, but I'm, I'm kind of bummed about it. First time that, that BC is going to be down there in four years. And I think this is a, uh, I think this is going to be a really good matchup, a really key matchup for BC who, who obviously is, is, has dealt with some, uh, some issues this year after losing the first two games and for Florida state, uh, certainly a chance to separate, uh, um, for my mind, uh, in the Atlantic Division, you get that Atlantic Division win and start to uh, the second Atlantic Division win and, and, and start to separate a bit if they get to four and zero. So I think uh, a Saturday night in uh, in Tallahassee is going to make for for some in- compelling theater. And, and once you get under the lights, the spear, everything that goes with it, first time in four years for BC going down there, I think it's going to be a uh, I think it's going to be a fun matchup. Yeah, um, you mentioned you know. Um the first two games for Boston College. Um, how do you how do you average sixteen and a half yards over two course, over two games in rushing? I, I'm, I'm I'm amazed by that stat. <laughs> uh, not great. <laughs> no, it's not. It was not the way I think they drew up the first two uh, first two weeks of the season. And and honestly, I, they knew Boston College knew this year they were going to be some some growing pains on the offensive line. They had, they had graduated everybody. Uh, four or five starters. Four of the five starters went uh, to the to the NFL level or, or, or attempted to make a run at a pro career. Uh, you lost a first round draft pick in Zion Johnson. You lost probably one of the best centers in the ACC in Alec Lindstrom. Uh, ben Petrula played forever, and Tyler Vrabel was was your left tackle. So you bring back Christian Mahogany, and and then in the off season after the spring. Uh, he, he is a significant leg injury that keeps him out for the rest of the season. For the, Before it even starts, he's out for the season. So you now have to replace all five linemen. And, and what your hope was that you'd, you'd 
you'd feel good about the depth coming out of the spring where you had mahogany and then you lose him so you go into camp feeling good about the direction or, or some of the things you can do but unfortunately it didn't play out that way in the first two weeks where where they needed to get some growth and and from that offensive line turned into the problems with the run game where they they weren't getting surge against rutgers or, or virginia tech um building on that has been kind of the the message and and really, I mean, yes, it's an FCS game against Maine, but uh, there there ha- there were improvements. There was a big run at the end of the game against Maine, but hopefully, you know, moving forward, as you as you face some more significant uh, competition, the the linemen can make that jump, open the holes for a running game that that's been the bread and butter for for BC even in a past first offense for for years. I mean, it's, BC's always been a good running team, so they got to get that figured out and. And uh, and get it figured out with you know, post haste. Yeah, you mentioned the the running game. I I love watching me some AJ Dillon on the on the Packers. It, it's been fun to fun to see him. But uh, you, you mentioned, I guess, sort of getting this offensive line back going. And I think Florida State they they have some problems on their D line currently, just because it's pretty banged up. Uh, so it could be an opportunity for them if guys like Jared First, Fabian Lovett. And Malcolm Ray are, are no longer you know ready to play. We'll we'll see if if, if they suit up, but um, it is a banged up Florida State team right now. I mean that Louisville game. I don't know if he, you had a chance to watch Dan, but it felt like there was an injury every five seconds on on both teams. It was just uh, never never seen anything quite like that. But the big injury, Jordan Travis, um, obviously uh, Mike Norvell kind of played coy about it this week. Uh, don't know if he'll. A start if they'll hold him out uh, but just Dan from the BC perspective when things haven't gone well for BC this year are fans still like even though it's gone really well for FSU so far are they they optimistic they thinking well if their backup quarterbacks playing I mean might have a chance or, or how are they kind of processing this game I will say that, that with a with a tough start to the season, uh, the one thing that that really stuck out and and without at the risk of getting sappy and the risk of getting you know over dramatic about about college football was the response from the BC community. I mean, obviously, w- when you lose the first two games of the season and you had high expectations, there's going to be a, 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 a percentage of your population that that gets disappointed by it and and. You know, and and that's understandable. And and Jeff Halfley has repeatedly said that they were, you know, he probably counted his team as being frustrated with the start in there. Uh, but the support that that kind of helped Boston College um, in terms of expectations out of the main, they ran out for the main game. And and bear in mind, the stadium only seats forty four thousand people. They had thirty thousand, thirty two thousand people there, which sounds like oh, you had thirteen, you know, twelve thousand empty seats, eleven thousand empty seats. But the student section was packed, and from the word go last week, the the crowd was really into it from start to finish for for Boston College. So when you lead into this week, I I drew the comparison to a European uh, you know Premier League team that you know is one of the, like oh they're they're floundering and the fans show up and give unabashed support to try and push them over the finish line and get them going. So I don't know if it's expecting much against Florida State or comparing to Florida State, more so than the fan base is is, is getting firmly behind BC and saying, hey, you go out and 
whatever happens from here, we've got your back and, and push that kind of into the expectation, which is if you go out and you lose and you leave everything out on the table, well, we're not going to, we're not going to abandon ship and we're not going to abandon you while at the same time saying, Hey, maybe, maybe if we get behind you and give you that significant push, you go into Florida state and maybe, maybe shock some people and take something away from the Knolls. You know, on that note, what would you know one and two star, you know zero and one ACC? What would a win for BC mean against FSU at this point? Well, I feel like it would right the ship for sure. Um, you know the the this year losing that game to Virginia Tech really hurt. Uh, you know when you look at when you look at that matchup and you look at what it was playing at Lane Stadium with the crowd, everybody was juiced up. It was the first time going there in four years. Uh, or with a real crowd. They went there during the COVID year, but they're only friends and family in, in 2020. Brent Pry's first game. I think that the the shock of, of coughing up the Rutgers game at the end led into this Virginia Tech, hey, if we play like we did against Rutgers, maybe we got a shot because Virginia Tech had lost Old Dominion. And then, you know, the offense just laid an egg and played so poorly and there was visible frustration and everything that had gone with it. So you beat Maine, and okay, you beat your FCS opponent. Between ACC people, you look around, and you're like, you shouldn't lose to an FCS opponent. But by the same token, any given day, it's really hard to win in college football, and you show your opponent the respect in, in terms of getting out in front of those games and winning those games. I mean, we're all sitting here knowing exactly what happens when you take those FCS games for granted <laughs> on both sides in, in some instances. So yep. <laughs> you don't you don't want to do that. So I think beating Florida State would serve notice that this BC team might have lost the first two games, but still got something to prove and and can prove it. And would serve a lot of notice to the division that this isn't going to be a runaway for, you know, the five undefeated teams that are that are standing in and trying to jockey for space. I think that would go a long way in a in a short amount of time. So you know, I had a, a chance to cover uh, Phil Dracovic when he was at Notre Dame and obviously just an incredible high school player uh, at Pine Richland, had so much hype coming into Notre Dame and showed showed flashes certainly in, in, uh, in practice. And what was what was interesting was for a, a period of time, Ian Book, a guy who had won a lot of games at Notre Dame, he just didn't have sort of the the down the field ability that maybe Jerkovic had, but he gave you so many other things, and obviously the most winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. But there was a considerable section of the fan base that wanted Jerkovic to play over him, even though they went to the playoff that first year. That kind of shows you how much they believed in Jerkovic, and when. When he left Notre Dame, it was like, oh my gosh, like we, we picked the wrong guy. That was there was some people that thought that at Notre Dame, and it ended up working out. But you know, you, you saw him go to Boston College, and I think in that first year, twenty twenty, really really showed something. And obviously, Zay Flowers uh, had had a, a great twenty twenty season, um, and this was you know in a COVID adjustment year. I do wonder what, what has happened since then. I know he had the injury uh, last year, um, seemed to really set him back a little bit. But 
What do you think, maybe why hasn't that jump happened like maybe some, some people thought? Two reasons. One is his health, uh, predominantly. We, we never got a chance in Massachusetts last year to really see what, what he could do. It got injured against UMass, which was the second game of the year, I believe. And so we only saw him for spurts against Colgate and UMass, and that was not uh, not enough to really look at and say, yeah, he's, he's made the jump. He could be a first-round quarterback. Uh, by the time he came back, and he was diminished. I mean, that wrist was not fully what I mean. It might have might have been medically cleared, but he was not. He didn't have the same zip. He didn't have the same pop that he maybe had uh, at the beginning of the year or even in camp. So, over the course of the year, he was able to get back his health, but not quite the way that it was there. Uh, so, in the off season, rather, he, he comes back and he gets his health back. So, I think the beginning of this year. Running into the, the problems with the offensive line hurt. He got hit a lot in the first couple of games. But part of it, too, and this leads to the second part, is not forcing the football but trying to do too much. You have a guy who's a, who's a dual-threat quarterback. He maybe could have saved himself a little bit better and not taken a few of those hits. Uh, you know, maybe instead of trying to, you know, the competitor in them, you want to get those extra few yards. You get the sticks. You want you gain ten. You want to gain fifteen. You want to keep going instead of taking those hits. If on a second and ten he runs for eight and slides, he's learned how to protect his body and sets up a third and two, and he can make a third and two very easily. So I think that mentality and learning some of that has been a big part of his adjustment this year. Now he hasn't really had an opportunity to to show the flashes because of the problems in the first two games. Uh, he looked phenomenal in the third game against Maine and aired out a couple of 50-yard bombs through for 300 yards. Uh, but it, I think he's up to 4,000 career yards now at Boston College. But it was against Maine, which is always going to be the asterisk that I think a lot of people are going to throw on the end of it. So as the season progresses, if his health stays intact, there's a lot to prove there for him because he didn't get that opportunity last year. And if it's not there for him this year, you know, this is the end of the road. So he has to be able to do it and, and compartmentalize it and make those throws because for him, this is also, you know, a job interview for, for the next level. When you're talking about the QB rankings and you're looking at who he's measuring against, the ceiling could put him up into some unique, uh, a unique stratosphere. But if it's not there, then by the time he goes into the draft, you're going to say, well, yeah, he has all these tools, but he never put it together in college. And, and I think that that is, a, uh, that is a driving factor as well, which you, know, you, you, you trust and you believe that he's, going to, that he's going to do it because we've seen the flashes. And now it's just a matter of, of staying healthy and doing it. You know, you know, speaking of flashes, you have someone that has flashes consistently in Zay Flowers. You know, um, talk about his season so far and his importance for Boston College. Well, he so again with anything. Anytime you talk about Zay Flowers, you've got to go back to to why he's even still at Boston College. Uh, I mean, that story um, with the whole you should transfer, you should you should leave BC, you should grant you know you, you get your degree, your or if you're going to get your degree, like you can make so much more money, the NIL, everything that goes along with it. And then he decided, no, I, I'm going to go. Like he had a conversation at home with his with his dad and said, I'm going to go back to Boston College. I want to I want to do it there. And so the fact every time he's the fact he steps on the field, 
is a testament to the BC program right now and, and the infrastructure and everything that Jeff Halfley's tried to accomplish at every level, when, when not just the football level, the, the social aspect, the, 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 the schooling aspect, everything that goes with it. Uh, beyond that, he might be the fastest human being I think I have ever seen in my entire life run down a football field. He is... God, that fifty-yard touchdown pass against Maine last week. I was I was sitting in the press box watching it, and he was in single coverage, like took off down the field. I don't even think there was any technique. He just ran by the guy and then caught it, and then muscled the last like seven or eight yards into the end zone. Like it was, it was amazing. And he's not that big. Like that's the thing. I think he's probably about you know five nine, five ten, and he's got the strength, he's got the speed, he's got the quickness, he's got the agility. If anybody wants to say, well, he doesn't have size because he's not a six foot four receiver, okay, he can kill you any number of ways. And 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 watching him back with and, and watching his development with Phil too has been, uh, boy, that he's going to be a, he's a special athlete, uh, number five all time now in, in receptions in BC program history. So you're starting to put him into into a category of guys who, who played. You know the the Richie Gannells and, and names that that Florida State fans may conceivably remember from from years past. Uh, Brandon Robinson, Duff, uh, Pete Mitchell was a Big East tight end in the nineties. These are all guys that he's now that he's now rivaling. Yeah, and you know for Florida State fans who may have not followed it, I mean this was someone who in the NIL and transfer portal era. I mean you saw what happened with Jordan Addison. It, I mean like. If you're a really good player for a team that that you know maybe not may may not have it that year or or maybe you have a better opportunity somewhere else or if some school is saying hey we'll pay you five million dollars or whatever to 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 go over here like yeah you, you a lot of players are gonna take that and Zay Flowers to his credit stayed loyal to Boston College I thought it was one of the better like feel good stories if you're a Boston College fan. I mean, I would imagine he just – I mean, you already loved him, but now he's, like, up there. I mean, I don't, I don't like to say he's with Matt Ryan and Doug Flutie or anything like that, but what, what would you say? I mean, is he kind of an all-time hey. status now kind of thing? He loves he loves that dirty water. Um, he He's, a, he's a, And he's a good kid. Like, I think that's the, the thing that I appreciate the most is – uh, how genuine he is as a as a human being, and and the things that he's talked about about getting his education. Like when I was twenty one, twenty two years old, I never thought about that stuff. Now that I'm in my thirties and like have my own kids, I'm sitting there looking. Boy, I wish I hope my kids have that head on their shoulder to say the education matters. And and something that Jaden Woodby actually said, who uh, Jaden Woodby talked about generational wealth, uh, about why he wanted so many degrees from Boston College after he transferred from Florida State. That was part of his part of his reasoning uh, was coming to Boston College was for the degrees. He was like talking about his real estate license or life insurance license. He's like, it's generational wealth. You know, money money comes and goes, but I want to do this for my parents and, and future generations. And I think that is part of it in the modern era that is uh is refreshing and i'm glad that i'm glad as a boston college person that these that these guys got the uh you know got the opportunity to represent bc in that manner because that is like you said it's it's refreshing and it's something you don't you don't sometimes see in the uh in the era and then i want to just ask you a few kind of big Big picture Boston College questions. I, I one of them was, uh, I mean, I, you noticed the three five five scheduling model. 
You get Pitt, you get Syracuse. Okay, makes sense. Miami as well. What what do you think of uh, what what do Boston College fans think of Miami on the schedule each year? Scott Butcher and I on the on the, on the podcast episode a couple weeks ago debated this, and I said, and by debated, I said we put the band back together. Uh, for me, it was putting the Big East back together, which I miss the old Big East. I mean, like it makes sense that why Boston College left, and and it totally. I'm not criticizing the move. I think the move to the ACC was awesome. Um, I loved those first couple of years in the ACC. The first time Florida State ever came to BC, we were sitting there going, oh, my God, it's Florida State. Like, in the 2000s, she's sitting there going, oh, my God, Bobby Bowden's in, in Boston. Like, this, this is amazing. Uh, but I miss some of those old Big East things. Like, the, the, like people people in the ACC don't realize sometimes the, the old Northeast cold weather. <laughs> you can smell the hot dogs on the grill. Like, you're bundled up to your eyeballs in late November and you got Syracuse coming in. Like that is for us, that's like smash mouth football. It's, it's everything it ought to be. Notre Dame comes in in those cold weather games at the end of the year uh, for the non-conference game. Pittsburgh used to play them all the time in the big East. Uh, and then you'd, you'd laugh when Miami would come up and everyone would be in every single layer of clothing they ever had. So for me, I, I know BC didn't beat Miami, between like 1985 and 2007, I want to say. But uh, after, but then you got the Flutie game involved with Miami. Like for me, it was great. Maybe Virginia Tech, given the history in the ACC with the crossover, might have been the better fit. Uh, but Virginia Tech had had its own matchups to put in there. Uh, and, and like I said, getting Miami involved puts the band historically back together. So I'm uh, I'm excited for it. I'm also excited to play some of these teams more frequently, uh, not necessarily to get away from Clemson and Florida States and them, but to play Duke more frequently, to play North Carolina more frequently, to play Georgia Tech more frequently. Like those are some fun road trips that I'm uh, that you know it'll be great to to get involved in every every other year or every one you know is it twice every four years to to see uh, or once every four years to at least see everybody as opposed to seeing Pittsburgh once every nine years in BC <laughs> or whatever it was. I think it was nine years uh, in between matchups. That was the that was I think the kicker for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge advantage. You know, like you talked about, is it's not just for the fans; it's for the players. The big deal they get to play, you know, at other places. You know, then you get, you get to experience other stadiums instead of like you know, like oh, you go here every year, they come here every year. So it's a nice little change up. You know, um, have you got any reaction from any players about that change? We actually have asked a couple of guys about their favorite road trip so far, um, the, and, and some of the places that they've enjoyed playing. We haven't asked them necessarily where they're going to, but it's interesting how every guy has their own different opinion on where they like to go. Like, um, I know Jaden would be said he loved Notre Dame. Like, he loved the trip out to Notre Dame, which again, I know it's a non-conference game, but BC tends to play Notre Dame frequently uh, with the Catholic tie-in and the Holy War. Uh, but you know, Florida State always a fun road trip. Uh, that was every other year. Now you go once every four years. For us to to be able to to reach out, not even from a recruiting standpoint, but some of these guys who are from you know Virginia and and being able to go home and play in some of these stadiums or or the Carolinas uh, uh, down into the deep south into into Georgia. That's going to be important to to just get those experiences and see those different stadiums and and experience the different the different levels of the ACC. And in the end, hopefully crown a true champion like if you if you if you can make it through that through some of those teams that you're going to play it's not just be better than your peers and you know play the 
play game theory. It's now you, you're going to have to go out and be better than everybody. And I think that is a uh, that is going to be a very good thing for these players. I sense the excitement. Uh, I also sense this year's get your shots in while you can. You only got one more shot to to, to dethrone the Atlantic Division Giants. You only get one more shot at it. One more. I'm shedding a tear for the ACC Coastal. No, no more, no more coastal madness. Um, no more coastal chaos. I'm yeah. gonna miss that coastal chaos. Yeah. But so before we get into predictions, Dan, just one more future of BC. Jeff Halfley, life after Djokovic and Flowers. What, well, where do you think this program's kind of going right now? What do they need to do to kind of get back on track? And yeah, just what do you think life will look like after Djokovic and uh, Flowers? There, there are some good recruits that have come in. Jeff Halfley as a recruiter has turned out to be Jeff Halfley, the recruiter we all thought he would be right now. And uh, Emmett Moorhead, the backup quarterback, it, he played last year a bit uh, as a redshirt freshman, uh, as a redshirt uh, as during his freshman year. Uh, he's He's got some skill. I think that honing that and developing that is going to be important. For, for Zay's purposes, they have some, some really speedy receivers that have come in. And you can see the the seeds develop. Guys like Jaden Williams, who who caught a fifty yard pass last week, he's he's got some real skill and, and can outrun everybody, probably including Zay to a degree. Uh, but he has to develop a little bit more uh, in order to step into that number one role. For, from from Jeff Halfley's standpoint, look, I I know it, I am not blind to the perception of Boston College that if you win at Boston College, your name immediately comes up for quote bigger jobs and. The one thing about Jeff Halfley that I love and respect the most is he looks at Boston College and says, why isn't Boston College going to be one of those teams? And he believes that Boston College can be, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was, 15 years ago, we were all looking at Clemson, and Clemson was Clemsoning. They were in the middle of the road with, with, with Coach Bowden. Dabo was a, was a brand new, uh, was an interim coach, and and. They weren't the Clemson that we know of now, and he made that. And so I think Jeff Halfley looks at the history of Boston College, sees the 80s, sees the teams in the 90s, sees the teams in the 2000s, and says, this isn't a stepping stone. Now, if the right position ever came along, I can't, I can't say he'd leave or, or stay. I'm not in those, you know, I'm not in his mind. But I think he looks at this, looks at the region, Looks at raising a family in this region. Looking, raising a family in Massachusetts is uh, is always a, a good option. But I think it is a. Uh, I think he's here for the long haul. I think this program is heading places, and uh, it's going to be really fun to see what he can do here. Well, Dan, before we let you go, give us your uh, prediction, and also just a couple other players to watch beyond Jerkovic and Flowers, and then just yeah, overall, how, how do you think this game's going to go? I, I think if BC's able to stop that offense, uh, which is easier said than done, uh, then, then they have a good shot at it. Uh, I think the offense is getting better at Boston College, so I think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to hinge on what the defense does. Uh, Prediction-wise, I've, I've always eschewed giving a score because I'm always so far off. It's not even funny. <laughs> uh, like, I'm always so wrong on those, but I will say, watch this defense. Watch the secondary. The jungle is what they call themselves. Uh Josh DeBerry is one of the hardest hitters in the ACC. Uh, he's a real thrill to watch. Elijah Jones is, is working uh, on intercepting the ball a lot better. Jaden Woodby, as I mentioned, Florida State fans know, he's he's turned into a real heart and soul hard hitter. 
loves Sean Taylor, I found out. So that's that should give you an indication on what he tries to do when a guy comes in over the middle. <laughs> um, and and I think these defensive backs, Jason Matry, uh, they're a lot of fun to watch. And I think uh, combined with a linebacker core with, with guys like Vinny De Palma, because if you're at BC, you got to have a Vinny De Palma from North Jersey on your team. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's. Uh, it's it's going to be fun to watch how they how they fight against this Florida State offense, which is so 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 good. Well, Dan, this was awesome, man. Uh, I'll give you one more chance to pronounce Florida State for us. <laughs> oh, I'm lucky I can say Tallahassee, Florida State. There you go. There you go. Rida. Just FSU. FSU. That's right. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us and. Looking forward to, to seeing your coverage and, and seeing everything else you do this week. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. So, Essen, the, the news that everybody wants to know, Jordan Travis, will he play on Saturday against Boston College? We've seen him at practice. Florida State is very, very strict about Hey, you, you can't disclose when certain players practice. You can't disclose how much a player practices or, you know, what what kind of uh, thing they might be wearing if someone's got a sling around his arm. You, you can't do any of that. And so we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, a little bit handcuffed as far as what we can and can't share. Uh, I'm sure Florida State fans saw this week all of the media folks who were posting only from the waist up uh, when it comes to any Florida State player. So it was very, very interesting week for how we uh, kind of handled everything. So we're, we're not going to speculate or, or share what Jordan Travis did, what the activity, all that kind of stuff. But let's just talk about should he play if he's 80% or you know, we're, we're, I've heard you talk about this a couple of times, Essen, where it's like, okay, if he's healthy enough to play, but it's not 100%, d- do you play? Like, what, what would you, what's kind of your assessment on that? I would say, um, why risk it this week? You know, um, take, I think after the, what we saw from um, Rodmaker last week is you got to feel a little confident he could go out against the Boston College. He did that on the road against Louisville. You know, you got to feel a little more confident in him. Um, you dress Travis. You have him as a backup. Um, break a glass in case of emergency kind of situation. Um, and you start with Rodmaker. And it kind of treat like the Jackson pit, um, Rodmaker's first career start at Jacksonville State, you know. If he throws a pick six and you're losing, all right, let's break a glass. Let's bring him in kind of situation. But I don't see why you would risk it with him in a game that – you're a 16-point favorite. Yeah, I, I'm i with you there in the sense that you see this happen in the NFL a lot where a guy will be an emergency quarterback is what they'll call him. It's almost like, okay, he's the, he's the emergency if either the starter does poorly or he gets hurt. I mean, if you had to choose between an 85% Jordan Travis, theoretically – Speaking, of course, 85% Jordan Travis or A.J. Duffy, you might be saying, okay, well, as long as Jordan Travis is good with it, let's let's play him. You, you just you want to account for every possible scenario. So it's not wild to think, 
oh, emergency quarterback, could that happen? You know, so um, I, I think it's interesting talking about the different scenarios because, like you said, Boston College is not a very good team. Maybe if Rodemaker doesn't have the week he had last week, maybe you don't feel as easy about, you know, okay, starting him might not be a bad idea. Um, what I'll also say is I think people have overlooked Boston College a little bit. I'm not going to say they're great. I mean, they have clearly are the bottom dweller of the ACC this year. But they do have a couple good players. And that pass efficiency defense they've got uh, ranked at 29th. They've, they've got some good players in the secondary. It's not going to be super easy. Where Boston College really struggles is its offensive line, its running game. Phil Jerkovic not being, you know, 100% for, you know, the last year or so. Uh, so, but as far as the quarterback is concerned, I don't know if this is a team you're going to just go light up for 51 points no matter who you got at quarterback. So, I do wonder, it's it's the big storyline in this game, Essen, where, like, if Tate Rodemaker is the starter, what happens if he starts struggling again? If Jordan Travis is your guy... Are you going to be running him less because maybe he's not 100%? I don't know. I, I think that is the key storyline, though, in this game. Yeah, definitely. Other storylines, like you mentioned, you know, um, they're not going to blow him out. But I think Florida State, even if Travis out, should have a multiple touchdown lead in the game. So um, in the fourth quarter. Um, so we talked about this a little bit, but. When are you getting Duffy in the game? This is probably one of the four games, right? Well, you have the lead in the fourth quarter, obviously, and you know. Yeah, um, I think this is a key opportunity because you look at the rest of the schedule. He obviously came in against Duquesne. You're not going to get him against Clemson, Wake Forest, NC State. Probably not against Florida. Probably Maybe, not yeah, not Miami. Maybe Georgia Tech, and then probably Louisiana Lafayette. But Essen, I, I don't I don't anticipate it being a blowout. I just I just don't. Um, we'll get into predictions well, later. That, you know, I'm saying like you know if you're up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I still like. I mean, I think the line, the spread right now is what sixteen and a half. Um, I think if you're up a couple touchdowns, you're not putting him in to the game. It would have to be 21, 28 point lead. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it's. I mean, Florida State should one hundred percent win this game, no matter what the situation is at quarterback. But blowing yeah. them out to where you're putting in your third string true freshman, and I don't know if I see that. Now, well, t- technically second string freshman. Yeah, I guess second string. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the if, scenario. If yeah, so. In the Louisville game, you know, we're not going to disclose, but Ron Maker, you know, it looked like it was a favorite of ankle at some point in that game as well, right? It looked like it. Um, we're not, we, you know, no disclosure, but, you know, it, it looked like he was favoring his ankle a little bit. So at this point in the season, no one's 100% healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, and they did get an extra day to kind of recover. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at this schedule and – it is a key opportunity to kind of start 4-0, and 
possibly be ranked Sunday and build a lot of confidence going into a pivotal three-game stretch. Because Mike Norvell talked all week saying this team has not played their best game. And he has kind of said, like, I mean, you look at this coming schedule, you get Wake Forest, you get Clemson, you get NC State. I guess NC State, then Clemson. I mean, it, it is – those are three, maybe the three best teams in the ACC uh, this season. And so, Essen, you know, when we talk about what does Florida State's best game look like, what what do you envision as maybe the, the best game this team is capable of playing? I think it's a mixture of, um, you know, what they did beginning of LSU, the first half against LSU. And then just defensively speaking, the first half against LSU and the second half against Louisville is when they were at their best. You know, they were not – what's the word I'm first, for? Uh, the first drive against um, Jordan Daniels, they were kind of on their um, – Jane Daniels, not Jordan. Um, they were kind of on their heels, and he got that run. But mm-hmm. then after that, they settled down, and they were – like, you know, he didn't have – he ran the ball well in the first half. He did okay, but most of his damage came in the second half. Um, and they made his numbers look better overall, but – they were not in their heels. They were attack. They were the attackers. They were the aggressive ones. So I anticipate their best game is going to be when they're going to be. They can be um, aggressive. They can, you know, and they're not. When I say aggressive, I'm not like you know. They're not sending like you know five six man blitzes. Like you know, they're sending at the four man front and doing pretty well with that. But they're winning their matchups individually. You're looking at you know they're holding opponents to like you know less than three touchdowns, less than three, you know less than twenty one points, and they're able to drop you know four or five touchdowns with comfort, you know, um, the, the, we haven't, I don't think we've seen a game yet where, you know, the running, I mean, I guess we saw glimpses of it against Louisville where the running game and the passing game were both like, you know, taking off and doing really well. Duquesne game, I'm not going to count because, you know, FCS opponent, both look, you know, but, but there was no real rhythm in that game because first half and you got bench, you know, so, I want to see a game where, you know, where Louisville, the passing is where it was, where Jordan Travis and company, and um, uh, Louisville, where the running game is, you know, up to that standard as well. And they're blocking well, you know. We'll talk about this later, but the wide receiver's blocking has been amazing, so. Yeah, yeah. And when I think about the defense, they have had some pretty great moments this season, but they've also had some bad moments. I mean, we saw what they did first half against LSU. Louisville, they forced a few three and outs. They forced a few turnovers. But then you also see the missed tackles. You see the missed assignments. You see the back-to-back quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels, Malik Cunningham, kind of gash them through the run. And this last game, they got gashed on the run. I believe they're at 86th nationally in run defense. But... Um, they had to do deal with two very slippery guys. I think this is a defense that should should be better uh, against the run. To me, it's more the secondary that I'm looking at and thinking, okay, what what are we what are we what are we getting here? Because I think Renardo Green has been the the one reliable guy that they've had at cornerback so far. He's played almost exclusively all the snaps at one of the outside cornerback positions. He's kind of flipped a little bit back and forth between field and boundary. He has been the best cornerback when it comes to tackling in space and kind of run support. And it's why he's been able to fit in pretty well when he has lined up at boundary. 
It's the other side that has been concerning. Duke Cooper was someone who, at the end of last year, everyone was calling him the top cornerback on this team. But he's been banged up and injured really since uh, the Duquesne game, which he missed. And you've seen him get snaps. You've seen Greedy Vance. You've seen Jerry and Jones. And you'll, you'll see flashes here and there, but I'm just not – they have not inspired a lot of a confidence in me. And when I look at this upcoming schedule, you're facing Zay Flowers. You're facing Sam Hartman and A.T. Perry. You're going up against Devin Leary at NC State. And then Clemson. Their three top receivers were all top 200 recruits in their class. Um, so, some really good talent at, at Clemson. They just haven't quite put it all together yet. But um, the, this cornerback position, got to get it figured out. And then obviously, you know, we mentioned the injuries. It's hard to play your best game when guys aren't available. If Jared Verse isn't available for the next couple games, we'll see. But how can you play your, your best game? On, on the flip side, you know, we talk about uh, Jordan Travis. We talk about Robert Scott went down, you know, with an injury. So, um Offensively, though, SN, I think really so far the biggest story of this season has been the steps that this offense has taken. This used to be a terrible offensive line. This used to be a terrible wide receiving core, and it really limited what they were able to do from the quarterback position. But now you're seeing it. Now you're seeing some dudes like Johnny Wilson you're seeing the offensive line, you know, holding up for I mean they they will they will definitely have their moments where you see kind of that old offensive line from 2020 2021 show up, but they have been better. But you wrote this week about the wide receivers kind of something they do that if you're not paying attention closely enough or if you're looking at the stat sheet, you can't always see. So so tell us a little bit about that. I know you talked with uh, Ron Dugans, the wide receivers coach. Yeah, I mean, um, this, I, I, this is something we've been talking about all year, kind of, you know, the blocking, because it's been evident, you know, Micah Pittman against Duquesne had a couple of big blocks, you know, that we were talking about after postgame. Johnny Wilson is, you know, um, can't remember it, um, the best um, blocker for Florida State, according to PFF, with um, – Malik McLean right behind him. So Florida State, and it's something I emphasize. Um, Dugan said it was something that was emphasized when he played at Florida State, including a 1999 um, national championship, is that wide receivers go unblocked because they want to build a complete receiver, not just, you know, one of these one-dimensional guys who, um, you know, can catch or one of these guys can block or one of these guys can run. All the receivers, and, you know, it, it, it's like catching the ball. Like um, Malik talked about a little bit um, after practice on Tuesday, um, it's like, you know, when someone makes a big block, we want to go make the next big block because we want to hit some, you know, people. So it's like, it's an offensive lineman kind of mentality with some of these receivers, which is really cool to see. So my feature, which is me out tomorrow morning, is uh, kind of explores that. Dugan talks about that. It's interesting to watch them play, you know, um, just build off that, build off that, because as, um, you know, unprompted, we didn't ask this question. Mike Norbaugh brought it up at his Monday press conference. Yeah. Talk about wide receiver blocking. It was not something that anyone in the media brought up. Norvell brought it up unprompted. And then um, I asked Atkins about the, um, um, the offense coordinator about that question. About that, he said, yeah, you can't, you know, these four-yard runs are just four-yard runs without wide receivers blocking downfield. Yeah. That's how, you know, um, Benson, not Benson, um, 
Um, Warren's turned into a 46-yard run the other day is because the wide receiver's blocking downfield. It's a big deal. It, it's such a motivator, too, when you have two transfers just come in and kick some freaking butt. I mean, they, Johnny Wilson, man, wow. For what he can do as a receiver, what he can do as a blocker is just as, if not impressive, more impressive. And you know, if I was if I was a cornerback and Johnny Wilson came running at me, I'm like, I'm I'm running the other way, I'm like six seven years. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it builds up your NFL draft stock. If like everyone's trying to find your weakness, but if you can block like that, that will serve you well as a next level guy. And Johnny Wilson. I don't think anyone college football really knew about him. I mean, he had 200 receiving yards career at uh, Arizona State last two seasons. Nearly doubled that in one game. And Mike Norvell, it was so fascinating to hear the story about how he figured – like he, he had the tie to Arizona State being a former offensive coordinator there. He said he was in Arkansas when he learned that Johnny Wilson went in the transfer portal. And he immediately put on his tape, and he was like, uh, yeah, this guy is going to be incredible. Gets him on the phone, I think, within 30 minutes, and is telling him, hey, this is why you need to come here. No one knows how good a player is going to be when he hasn't played at the college level. Like you, It's so hard to – it's almost an educated guess for Norvell to pick up on that right away really speaks to – just, I mean, this has been one of the best transfer portal evaluating staffs that there's been in well, all of college football. It's been the one thing that has helped this program start 3-0 and and really start to build a future. Even starting with Jay Sean Corbin was a guy who had a significant injury at Texas A&M. They bought into him and, you know, he had a great, you know, uh, a couple years here. But, I mean... You bring in guys like Trey Benson. He'd never done anything at Oregon. Um, and for those guys to pop, I mean, you, you also talk about guys like Bless Harris. I know he, he went down, but that was an FCS dude that they, they picked up, and he was okay. going to be their right tackle this year. So I, I'm just so impressed with the transfer portal job they've done. But, uh, yeah, Essen, any, any more thoughts there? I mean, just the, the, the blocking. I mean, if, if – you don't always get to see it when you're watching the TV view, but when we're in the press box, I mean, I remember there was a play against LSU where Malik McClain is just throwing a dude on the ground. I'm like, heck yeah. Like, I don't as, – as just an observer, I get fired up when I watch it. Oh, definitely. You know, um, and that was the difference because, you know, you got to be um, – you traveled for the Louisville game. I was watching at home, so I wasn't able to watch. You know, it's a different experience watching the game and providing insight to, you know, fans at home because it's different watching on TV. Because you notice a little more of the small things. You're not just watching what's on the TV screen. Yeah. You know, you kind of look at, you know, um, Mike Norvell's reaction, um, Coach Dugan's reaction, Coach Atkins, you know. Um, you just see, notice all that stuff. Um, I want to piggyback to what we are talking about, the perfect game. One thing we haven't talked about yet is, you know, um, special teams. Um, you yep. know, <laughs> we don't have to talk about Fitz, um, Fitzgerald again because that's been talked about. I think it's a confidence thing. I think he'll be okay. I've seen him make those kicks in practice all the time. I think he's going to be fine. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's going to be fine. I'm just going to say that. But, but okay. you go uh, on. <laughs> but what I want to talk about is um, we haven't seen them pop a big return yet. We haven't. And, and that 
that's uh, you think of um, the great FSU teams. You think of the great, you know, um, the best teams in SEC, the SEC, or you know, uh, the best coach teams. Clemson, look at that, you know, uh, or even Mike Norvell's Memphis teams. Well, one thing that you remembered about them is their special teams. Yeah, um, Tony Pollard, I'm baby. Just waiting for that to pop, you know, because they have the talent. They, it's not like. It's. Um, I think um, co- um, Coach um, Papa, um, Papa Chusets has mentioned it. You know, is one block away. They're one block away from having that big return. We haven't seen it yet. I want to get your thoughts on that. You know. Yeah, I thought that Winston Wright was the key for them to really accelerate their special teams, and we haven't been able to see him yet. I mean, that was one of the more prolific kick returners in college football last year at at West Virginia. I mean, that was a guy who would break Tavon Austin's record in a game. Like, Tavon Austin was electric as, as a returner. So for him to even be in the same conversation uh, in certain games, I, I really thought he's such a shifty guy with such elite speed. Once he's back in this lineup, I think you're going to see things change for, for, uh, for this special teams. Now... As far as, as far as like um, punt return, I think it's more like I, I would still I'm still confident that Micah Pittman's gonna get a couple returns. He's he's a great player in space. We've talked about him okay. being kind of a running back, uh, where you get him a gain of speed, gain gain a <laughs> head of steam. Uh, he can really do some damage. So I think it's just about getting him in the the right. Uh, opportunities. Uh, I don't think. I think. I think that big return, which is going to help the offense, is going to help the defense. Is close. It's going to happen. You, you know, if it happens against Boston College, great. But you really need that against NC State, Clemson, and Wake Forest because that's yeah. where the difference is made in the game. Because you can't expect giant, um, um, you know, um, Travis to get the ball down 80, 90 yards every time. You can't expect the defense to, you know if they get a short field because of a quick turnover because, you know, something fluky happens, you can't expect them to, you know, hold up every time. So at some point, you just got to, you know, Florida State's playing a little bit of that bend, don't, but don't break defense a little bit. But yeah. at some point, you get unlucky on that. You get unlucky, you know, on offense. You know, you have a ball that, a perfectly thrown ball that just goes off a wide receiver's fingertips and just, you it's know, It's all against flex. LSU. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, you need the... The the um, all three facets to be functioning well, and that's been Norvell staple at Memphis. So I'm I'm waiting for that to pop, you know. So before we get in predictions, I just want to make a quick mention of a story that I had that came out today. It was about Tate Rodemaker. <laughs> had the chance to talk with his father, Alan, who was actually his high school football coach at Valdosta. Um, really had some pers- great perspective on. Tate's performance. I mean, uh, I, I just really appreciate how honest he was. And I think if you're a Florida State fan, you've, you've got to read it because he he really talked about why Tate didn't transfer. Okay, Mike Norrell said that he has believed in him, but what did that actually look like? And it dates back to his time at Memphis. Uh, Memphis's quarterbacks coach at the time was at what, what – uh, what, what Alan Rodemaker called um, every practice of Tate's that the NCAA would allow it. Um, and, and just the story of Tate's recruitment 
is wild because had Mike Norvell been hired a week later by Florida State, Tate's not here. He's probably at Northwestern or Baylor. Um, And then, I mean, you you guys will have to read it, but he talked about a text message Mike Norvell sent him after the game. Uh, He also talked about being kind of emotional after after watching it he didn't even know that like what was happening he was in the middle of coaching a high school football game but uh, so re- I, think I, I think the story i thought the most intriguing was he told his friends he's like don't tell me about the game don't tell me yeah. what's going happening yeah, he's like do not tell me anything and the guy's like hey by the way i just saw your son complete a pass and he's like excuse me what, what are you talking about <laughs> Um, I thought that was hilarious because I didn't even think about it like until you just mentioned it. You know, it's, it was a Friday night, so of course he's an assistant coach. Right now, I think you mentioned right. Um, yeah. So he's not, he's coaching a football game because it's a Friday night. So um, obviously he's not going to have time to watch a game. But yeah. just you know, for him to be able to catch a second half of that game and be able to watch his son, I can't even imagine. You know. Yeah. The story does a great job of exploring that. You know, um, you talk to his former high school teammate, which is really cool. Yeah. So yeah, I it's mean, a story FSU fans got to check out because you get to know. The guy was potentially under center for this week. Absolutely. And, and just, I mean, Tate Ronemaker was seriously the most hated player by this fan base. Like, it, it, I thought it was unfair and a little too much at times because, I mean, he hadn't been put in the best situations, really. And, yeah, he, he did not no. perform well. And his dad will be the first one to admit that. But also, like – it was really a mental issue for him where the confidence just wasn't there. The Jacksonville State game just was a really tough one for him to deal with. So anyway, I've, I've talked about it enough. Y'all go read it. I don't but want yeah, to spoil you know, everything. Like, you know, um, everyone, every fan base's favorite player on the team, the most popular player on the team is usually the backup quarterback. Yeah, well, not this said, time. <laughs> that was not the case before in the state. Now, um, I don't know, um, after just reading his feature, maybe, um, you know, you might make Rod Naker the most famous person on um, the Florida State roster. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it'll be um, something to watch. I mean, is this is this an outlier for him, the Louisville game, or can he build off this? And if he starts against Boston College, it's a chance for him to build off of it. Because you, you mentioned your story, and um, people get to read that, as you know. Uh, he had one opportunity against Jacksonville State, and get he got in a few other games. that didn't really, have a, you know, that was his first career start. Other than that, he's coming in mop up duty or, or you know, in relief. Um, this, if he gets to start against Boston College, it'll be a second career start. Third career? Well, yeah, career. yeah, second. You're right because he didn't start against Louisville, so yeah, be his so second, second career, career start. start. So it's not like he's had like you know all the opportunities. He's still very young, you know, because think about the COVID year. Yeah, and we've like. He does have talent in terms of like, – he's a great athlete. He has got a pretty good arm. I mean, Jeff Halfley, Boston College's coach, said that he had the best, strongest arm that he would watched on film this year. That's quite well, the I mean, compliment. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, Jordan Travis is a great quarterback. He has done great this year. But for someone like Johnny Wilson, you need someone, you know, that can throw the ball up. It's not scared to throw the ball up, kind of, you know, to him, 50-50 ball. Yeah. Jordan Travis is more of a precise, accurate thrower. I don't yeah, I will say the thing with Jordan like he only had one throw to Johnny in the Duquesne game cuz Johnny got hurt. Yeah. And then against LSU, I think Ontario Wilson just went out of his mind. Oh, that's, that's So, you know. but I think going into the season, Johnny Wilson was always going to be the number one guy. Ever since I watched him in preseason camp, I was like, dude, 
all these people wanted to be careful. Oh, he's not always consistent. Uh, he'll drop a ball like every other practice. I'm like, dude, I don't care. There's no one like this on this team. Uh, that's what actually bothers me about people. Like, oh, he drops a ball like every wide receiver does. Every single one does. <laughs> like, uh, who was, um, you know, um, uh, slipping my mind right now, but one of the best wide receivers, like, um, who, um, was it Godwin who struggled with um, Chris Godwin struggled with um, Jamar drops. Chase? I think you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Struggled yeah. with drops at the beginning of his career. Not not an issue anymore. Yep, and they trained Johnny specifically for that. Uh, Ron Dugans, when I talked to him in the spring, was like, "Yeah, we try to wear this guy out. Like we drill this into him." Uh, but let's let's move on to predictions real quick. Essen, how's this game going? What's your score? So I got, um, thought about this, you know, um, say 31, I'm going to say they cover, so let's say 31-14. 31-14, okay. I have a closer game. Uh, I think Boston College will cover. I'm going 24-13, to Florida State. So we got similar scores, just one score difference, you know. We do. I, I just think... Like, I, I do think Zay Flowers will be a problem. I think they'll score at least a touchdown. They'll move it ball, the ball down the field a couple times. This secondary hasn't always been perfect, so I think they will score at least a touchdown, and I think they'll get in the double digits range. The offense, I think, uh, this could be – I mean, I don't want to call it a trap game because Boston College isn't really that great, but when you when you have two emotional wins and then you got a game right before – three straight big games, you know, that that could be – we oh, all talked about all oh, coming off the bye week, but really this is kind of the game where, like, how how are you going to look when you're favored by 16.5 points and you have this emotional victory and you're about to play some really good competition? Well, yeah, biggest my um, prediction is Micah Pittman will return either a punt or a kick for, return for a touchdown. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's into the prediction. So that's I do a, think that's he'll. I do think he'll bounce back. He only had one catch last game. Um, I do think he'll have a better game this time around. Uh, but again, we'll see who starts a quarterback. Can't really share. We we, we kind of have an idea, but we can't really we can't really share. So uh, we'll we'll just uh, leave it at that. But. Um, uh, that that's another edition of the Null Sports Podcast, folks, and uh, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, check us out at Tallahassee.com. Check out our Twitters, NullSports.com, uh, at Null Sports, uh, and thank you for listening. <laughs>